The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to our wild world. Lions, beautiful, raw, the epitome of wild Africa. At least that's what we typically think of when we think of lions. But there is another kind of lion, the captive lion, those in zoos and theme parks, who look through you with a thousand-yard stare. Yes, they're lions, but not lions. They're wild, but captive. Even though caged, these lions still hold a special place in our hearts. We assume they're living the good life. But then there is the captive canned lion, those lions that are bred strictly for our entertainment and to lure naive tourists to so-called game parks and wildlife preserves, where you can, for the price of admission, pet, cuddle, and bottle feed, hand-raise, and hand-raise these adorable little creatures, assuredly told that you are benefiting the conservation of the species and that these lions are going to a better home in the wild. Then there's a man who decided to ask, just where do these lions go? Where are these good homes? And an answer found and exposed the dark underbelly of the captive canned lion hunting industry. Lions bred for the bullet. Where cub petting and associated volunteer activities to hand raise them are simply preparing them for a life in an enclosure and usually an an inevitable and eventual death at the hands of a trophy collector. The industrialized farming of lions, a fancy window dressing that is not only cruel and abusive at its root, but also poses a serious threat to our world's wild lion populations. Amongst the campaigns to stop the canned hunts and captive hand-rearing of lions and all of its spin-off markets, there is one man that stands apart from the crowd, a man who took a stand against the industry to be a voice for these lions, a man who needs little introduction as he's known around the world as the lion whisperer. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kevin Richardson. Oh, thank you, Ellie. Uh, nice introduction, and thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. As we've emailed a bit, I've been following you for a very long time, long before your um, sort of celebrity personality has taken over. And the work and that you do is amazing. Your mission is incredible. What you've been trying to do to expose this and your lions are incredible. Um, so 
in that vein, sometimes when I'm watching some of the video in the interviews, I sometimes feel as a conservationist that you and your mission are upstaged by your lions in the interaction. It's hard not to be amazed, astonished, and astounded watching you in person, which I've never had the opportunity to do, um, with these lions. It's, the lions become very real, they're very big, and, you, and the viewer, the visitor, suddenly realizes how amazing your interaction and your ability to understand, um, interact, and be aware of the behavior of these lions really is. So there's a lot of information, video, a fabulous website that you have, and your Facebook page that tells a lot of people and gives so much information. But with this opportunity with you today, I'd like to talk a little more about strictly your mission and what's going on with the lions in this industry, what you're doing to change it. So we could start off with a bang here. There was a recent killing, a recent death. I don't want to use killing or attack. Um, I don't think those words are really appropriate in the context of what this situation is. A woman was recently killed um, at Lion Park, South Africa, uh, by one of the lions. So, um, as I understand, you started your work at Lion Park, South Africa. So let's start off with a little background of where you began, and let's get into the lion side of what happened in this recent death. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks. It's, yes, it's a tragedy in, in my opinion. I always refer them as tragic incidences. Um, but yes, true, I did start at that very same park many years ago. Uh, around about 1998, I met two lion cubs, um, later to be known as Tower Napoleon. Uh, Tao is still with me to this day. He's now turning 17 this month. Um, his brother passed away last year, uh, old age, uh, basically age-related um, illnesses, kidney failure, etc. Um, and he, he didn't weather life as good as his brother, but they both uh, seemingly had a good life. Um, but it was at this very same park that I was introduced to, to lions and my love of lions from a childhood, but really got um, got going, having met these lions. Um, but also what happened during my journey was I started to see sides of lions in captivity that made me feel uncomfortable. And I think in the earlier years, I wasn't quite sure what it was. Um, and then I started, I've, I've always had an inquiring mind. So, you know, I uh, started to inquire more and started to ask a lot more questions about the industry, started to see a lot more things in the industry, meet a lot more people. And, you know, that's when I started to realize that there was a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Um, and unfortunately, by that time, I was so hooked uh, by this love affair. I was in, in this love affair with not only then town Napoleon, but several uh, other uh, lions and lionesses that I'd started forging these relationships with and getting to that, know them on a level um, that I didn't imagine was even possible. Um, and this created a, a, a further problem for me. Um, so, yeah, to cut a long story short, it's been an evolution whereby a self-indulgent cub-petting experience 
um, changed my life and kind of led me to become a voice, so to speak, for these captive lions. And, you know, this whole public persona of the, the lion whisperer, and as you correctly mentioned, you know, people uh, sometimes are so in awe of the video that sometimes maybe the message might go over the top of their head. But it's not always the case because I think the the interactions and the the relationships have afforded me the opportunity to uh, be able to utilize this platform um, to get messages out there, which I would never have had if I was just Kevin. Absolutely. Uh, there mm. is no doubt about it that your mm. unique skill, I know a lot of people who work with lions, wild lions, and can reintrodu- reintroduce them into the wild. But you are unique in that you can read these lions and the work that you've done with this love affair, as you call it, with your lions, created an ability for you to um, tell the world that these animals are individuals. They have personalities. That one, when you've seen one lion, you haven't seen them all. They're all different. So the videos show this, and I agree with you 100% that without your interactions with these lions, we would not have a window into what you've been able to tell the world who lions are, not only as individuals, but who they are as beings. But you had mentioned a, a minute ago, it created a bit of a problem. What was that problem that it created for you? Well, let's rewind the clock a bit. Uh, in and around 2003, uh, there were two lionesses um, that everyone still knows to this day. Uh, one is named Megan, the other is Amy. Um, they, they, you know, you come across, as you quite rightly say, you come across lions and they are very much individuals just like human beings. Um, and then you do connect uh, over the years very, very well with certain individuals. And two such individuals are Megan Amy. Um, anyway, uh, the relationship was blossoming and blooming. And I went away on an annual vacation. It was due to me. And within three weeks, um, that I was away, these two lionesses were shipped off. They were sold. And I got back from holiday and, uh, you know, went to where they were when I left and called them and there was no answer. And to my horror, I then found out from one of the people or the guides at the park that they had been sold. Um, so I kicked up a, a storm. And uh, fortunately, at that point in time, I had good relations with the the actual owner of the park. And I said to him, you know, this is not right. I've got to, we've got to get them back. And basically I think everyone thought I was a bit over emotional and overreacting and, you know, that it would go away. But, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't stop there. I just, I carried on. And eventually to the point where I managed to convince everyone that I should be given the opportunity to go and fetch them from where they'd been sold uh, to so let's break in here for a minute. They were sold off to another, let's call it game reserve, uh, lion park, or were they sold off into a um, hunting concession? Well, at that point in time, I was probably not as knowledgeable as I am now about all the ins and outs. Uh, so I'd been informed that they'd been sold to a lion breeder. Um, and so when I eventually got to the, this breeding farm, did I really feel uncomfortable because it was set up in such a way that it was just 
lions of all ages um, put in different camps, but in age uh, categories. So you'd have the first camp and you'd have 30, 40 lions and they'd all be six months old. The next camp, they would be a year old and so forth and so forth. And you'd have females grouped with females and males grouped with males and some groups intermingled, uh, depending on what was uh, to be achieved. And I found... Yeah, I found Megan Amy uh, amongst a group of about 30, 38 individuals, all, all uh, females. Um, and I was told that I would never be able to uh, recognize who they were because they all looked the same. And um, how was I going to be able to fetch these two, you know, and, and retrieve them? Um, and that was my first also, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was an understanding well, it was a, a realization, put it that way, that um, people aren't, weren't seeing lions the way I was seeing them. <laughs> These people were seeing lions as, as probably most people see lions. They're dangerous, um, or as we say in, in Afrikaans, gefaarlik, and uh, you shouldn't be around them and you shouldn't interact with them. And they, you know, th- this, this facility was really uh, quite clearly them, utilizing them for one purpose. And that was either to supply an industry that was um, the canned hunting industry or was actually um, um, utilizing them on that particular farm for hunting purposes as well. So what you, so, po- what you point out here, what you found was a very unnatural lion situation. We all know lions live in prides. They're highly social and they have very tight bonds. The females stay together. The young boys kicked out and create new territories. So putting all these lions into age groups, sort of like classes, okay, here you have size one, size two, size three, mm-hmm. and then you move them on, was is not a natural thing. So that right there is a kind of a cruelty and abuse, not necessarily physical abuse, but certainly an abuse of what a lion is and um, unnatural in the sense that if this is not a wild lion. You've changed these lions' social dynamic tremendously. Well, sure. I mean, look, one, one thing I can say, and knowing lions as well as I do over the years behaviorally, is that they are highly adaptable, just like people. So, um, you know, if you do grow them up in that way, they, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to state for a fact that they miss a pride or so, social structure of a pride because they're kind of like a, a, in many respects, like a dog that's been taken away from its pack. You know, we, we do that all the time to domestic dogs, but we don't think twice about it. But yes, I would say from a, it goes against the grain. When I was there, I felt uncomfortable. It didn't feel real. It didn't feel the way lions should be treated. Um, these are not domestic animals. They are wild animals, but they were being treated as if they were domestic animals because this was no different to how you would probably raise livestock for slaughter. Um, so that, you know, my, my objective, my mission at that point in time was not to even, not to even delve into that. It was only really once I had got Megan Amy back and I, a couple of weeks had passed by did I really start to truly reflect at what had happened and start to think more and more about it and got more and more curious about what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, luckily for Megan Amy, I would say, uh, they, 
they um, and maybe that's why we have such a strong bond to this day. Is <laughs> they're still thankful for me coming to to that place to rescue them. But uh, yeah, it was a it was, for me. It was also a very um, it was an eye opener um, to to what was going on because you can tell people as as much as you want. Uh, this is what's happening. But until you see something, uh, we were visual creatures, you know, we really need to see things to believe them. Um, and that was a seeing as believing experience. Um, and I knew when I, when that time had happened or when that occurrence uh, happened, I knew that there wasn't much I could do because I had, I, I wasn't the lion whisperer. I had a relationship with, um, uh, uh, quite a few lines at that point in time around this park. But I also knew that if I kicked up a fuss and created a stink, I would be out. And and that would be the end of my relationships with Ta, Napoleon, Madita, Tabby, um, Megan, Amy, and all these other animals that, that uh, people are so fond of. Um, so you did a rather uni- unique thing at this point. You purchased these lions. No, not at all. No? I, I had, no, I didn't have much money at that point in time to uh, even offer to purchase these lines. I, I merely had to figure out ways in which, in, 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 in which I could continue my ultimate mission and in which I could continue keeping up my relationships. And I had to, I, I really had to uh, bide my time. Um, and and it's taken years, Elliot. It's not. It hasn't. You know, a lot of people, I see them come into the industry and they make a lot of noise. And uh, then they're gone um, because they weed it out very quickly. So the, the, these, this industry is clever in, in the sense that people who toe the line, you can stay. If you don't make too much noise, you can stay. If you make a lot of noise, you're gone. And then, and then what? Because no one wants to listen to somebody who's got no you know, credibility. So at that point in time, I knew, like in 2000 and three odd if I made a stand um, it would be futile it wouldn't be for the benefit of of lions as a whole and um, it was also around about that time that I I was breaking into my very first documentary on on my relationships with the lions because at that point in time uh, town Napoleon were about four um, so they had just become these big uh, probably yeah about four or five and they had just become these big, beautiful uh, black maned lions, and everyone was in awe of this relationship uh, because it was very different. I was lying down with them, and they were rolling on top of me. And everyone had said to me, "When these lions get to um, 16 months old, you're going to have to stop doing that because uh, they're because that's turn what's always you. been done. And lions are correct." And lions are instinctive, and if you've got blood on your hands, they're going to eat your hand, and they're going to eat you, and they're like sharks. When they smell blood, they get crazy, and don't look them in the eyes, and don't go down to their level, and never turn your back on them, and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking to myself at that point in time, wow, this is really not, what I'm hearing is not what I know about these two lions, and the others that I'd formed relationships with. I was like, no, these lions would never do that. Um, and everything that people were telling me was turning out to be not true. Anyway, so, so I had these two things going on at, at that point in my, my life, whereby um, I had relationships 
remarkable relationships and and I wasn't at any point wanting to give that up um, and I knew the impact that they had on mine um, and and deep down subconsciously consciously I knew there was something bigger here I just could feel it and for me to get up and walk away and say listen this is something I can't be part of I knew I'd be turning my back on them and that wasn't right so I had to bide my time which I did and slowly but surely, you know, I managed to move a certain group of lines away from the park that they were at. That was in 2005. So I moved away from the line park in about 2005 and moved all those lines to a new facility. But I still wasn't the owner because I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't do that with, with the, considering the amount of money I would have had to have raised. And I had no means really to raise that money. Um, how would you? <laughs> and you bring, uh, up an in, you bring up an interesting point there, that you still weren't their owner. So no. right there is a distinction between wild lions who don't have a specific owner. They are public domain or owned yeah. by the government or, mm -hmm. you know, in some property uh, countries, property laws, the animals that are on your property are yours while they're there. When they go to somebody else's, they belong to someone else. So that's a convoluted conversation that we've covered elsewhere on this program. So you had, so, so the wildlife documentary gave you an entree, so to speak, to bring to light the conditions that these lions were that they're a catch-22 they're living in a limbo they're not wild they're someone's property and you wanted to change how the life of these particular lions their future so that they could live out a life but a kept a captive life but a captive life that gave them the ability to, th to thrive not just well, survive well exactly my, my mandate was to give them a quality of life so at that point in time, I, I, when I first met Tao Napoleon, very naively, I promised them that I would look after them until the day they died. Now, unwittingly, I managed to actually, um, I managed to actually uh, achieve that because Napoleon passed away last year. And, and uh, up, up to last year, he lived a very, very good life. In fact, probably a better life than any lion that's ever lived because he's, he's experienced so much. He's never lived a boring, dull life. And so the same goes for Tao. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a, this, this whole ownership thing is a real tricky one. And I, I, I used to shrug away from that. I used to say, well, I'm not their owner. I'm merely their, their um, custodian or guardian. And, um, but ultimately it came down to a point where I had to, and still am, fighting for their custody and fight. it's almost becoming like it's almost like a divorce where one uh, needs to fight for the kids and that's that's where I am at this point in my time I'm still although I claim to be the full owner there's still um, people out there who would like to claim that they are, have a, <laughs> have a previous have a claim to these lions because they're uh, yeah. a, a property and a financial vested interest so we've got a few minutes left to the break. You, so you created a sanctuary. You did a um, produced a beautiful film. I think it's called White Lion, which tells a wonderful story and connects people to lions. And it's interspersed with people and a storytelling and the lions from your sanctuary. 
So from what I understand, your sanctuary was not open to the public at that point because you wanted to take the lions off display, quote unquote, and give them a quality, quality, quality of life. So your documentary work helped provide funding and exposure to do what you're doing now? Yeah. White, that film, uh, White Line, that was really a, a big break for me because it was an opportunity. I said to the um, owner or the guy, the executive produced the film, and I said to him, I, the producing fees, um, I, I, you know, um, I, I will waiver on condition that I become co-owner of, of the lions and we move them to this new facility. And that's what we did. So the Lions, um, I became a co-owner, and um, that was my foot in um, to get control. Because I knew at the other facility I had no control, as, as we know what happened with Megan Amy. Um, so that was a way of me leveraging uh, control uh, or getting more control and being able to um, you know, have a say in what, what happened at, at that place, at that facility. But I still wasn't in full control, which was always a bother. And, and so, you know, we'll maybe after the break, uh, we can catch up on, on how that progressed. But uh, the film certainly was a, a good stepping stone in the, in the right direction, although it was a long process to make the film and it was a hard film to make. It, it, there was conflict and it showed, it showed some true colors of humans in the in the film in the making process um i think it turned out you know okay for what it was was you know for what it was and um it certainly um in the greater scheme of things allowed me to break away you're an amazing man kevin you know i would love to meet you in person someday i would love to see you with your lions because i've done a lot of work with people who interact with lions um in rescue rehab situations and in wild situations reintroduction of orphans and some captive lions but you're an amazing man also not only because you have the ability to communicate on a lion level and understand who lions are and be a voice for the lion i'm going to call it theory of mind that these are beings they are individuals they aren't all one lump sum called lion but that mm -hmm. you're smart that you knew you had to bide your time that making waves would be counterproductive to what you wanted to accomplish and uh not many people do that we want to we want to speak out we want to make waves and we want to change things and oftentimes that ends up shooting us in the foot biting us in the back and we lose an opportunity uh to do what we wanted to do. So um, we're going to pick up here uh, after the break. This is my guest, Kevin Richardson, also known as the Lion Whisperer. Be sure to look at his website, which is, uh, what is your website? It's just lionwhisperer.co.za. So www.lionwhisperer.co.za. And his Facebook page where you can so-called meet these lions and see amazing video of Kevin with his lions and learn about the distinct relationships that Kevin has with these particular animals, but more so learn about the mission. So stick with us. This is Our Wild World. We'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. 
Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my amazing guest, Kevin Richardson. And before the break, Kevin gave us a great understanding of captive lions and uh, the work that he had done to understand and get lions out of this captive canned hunting situation as property, as ownership, and that they were not living a life in the wild. So that leads us to that we had talked about a theory of mind that these lions are individual beings and now they're being kept in closures as Kevin had said when they're too old for cub petting um, and they do become dangerous they are predators they are carnivores um, they do have a prey drive so the captive situation where they're put into age groups versus the pride structure and living a wild life uh, changes their mentality a little bit in the best way, you can have a close relationship to them, as Kevin does. In the worst way, we end up with tragic incidents, where we started in, in the beginning of this program, that these captive lions have a different way of looking, and it led to an incident last week of a woman's death. Kevin, you speak for the lions. Tell us how this kind of an incident happens because of this kind of a situation, because it really doesn't happen that often in the wild. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in the wild, lions have a natural fear of people. That's, that's period. And so most of the time, lions will try and avoid people. Um, now, in captivity, we have two situations. We have one situation where lions are raised, um, hand-raised and bottle-fed, then they are utilized in these cub interaction programs and people have the opportunity or afforded the opportunity to pet them and take pictures with them. And then when they get a little bit older than that, now what's been introduced is lion walking programs. So people can 
And it's normally with the good ones, the ones that show um, less aggressiveness, are more docile, more placid. Those lines go and get walked with all the way up to the age of even sometimes 18 months. Um, I've even seen two-year-old lines being walked with, which I always just raise my eyebrows at. And then ultimately there comes an age when these lines are too dangerous even for that. And then they grow up or grow out and get um, either sold off or put into these camps. And then they could be utilized for tourism, whereby um, people can drive through in their cars. And then there's another group of captive lines that are bred, for example, in the camps that people would drive through. And they're raised by their parents because there's a certain number obviously, of lions that they would want in the camps to create these natural, in inverted commas, prides. So you'd have cubs, mothers, and the, 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 the pride male. And then there's a certain number of cubs that are taken away, obviously, to uh, sustain the cub petting side. So it's a highly so, manipulated, managed Disney version of, uh, for a tourist, entertainment of recreating the wild, but not wild at all. Correct. There's still wild minds, they're still instinctive predators, but this is not a wild situation. This is a highly man- manipulated, managed system. Well, it, well, wild, lions never lose their, their wildness, I can tell you that much. They, they always have instincts, just like your domestic uh, cat, um, except these, you know, your domestic cat's been domesticated over tens of thousands of years, and lions haven't. Uh, so, Having said that, these lions are, are living in environments that are pretty closed and, as you correctly state, highly manipulated. Um, but one thing that they don't have is they don't have the stimulation that a wild lion would have. And and sometimes stimulation could be stressful. Um, wild lions live a stressful life. That, that's, that's no, um, that's no um, debate. But um, these lions, uh, therefore, can exhibit boredom. Because what else is there to do um, in your five or three or two hectare area that the people drive around in, other than to show an interest in these vehicles? So these vehicles become part of their environment and they become uh, something of interest, potentially. And now, as we know, some lines are, are different. I mean, all lines are individuals. So some lines pay particular attention to cars and others don't really care. Um, and some lines want to go and investigate cars. And some lions even bite cars. They bite the bumpers, they bite the tires. And there's, there's even been incidences of lions that approach cars and open the doors because there's a, a handle sticking out um, and it's quite an opportunistic size for a lion to bite down on. And lo and behold, I bite down on this and boom, boom the door opens. They're smart, two, they're curious, and they learn. Well, they learn quickly because there's two things that can happen from that experience. The lion can either say, hell, that was scary. I'm never going to do that again. Or it says, wow, that was interesting. The next car that comes in, yeah, I'm going to try that again. Um, so they're just like people. Some people are, are risk-seeking and other people are risk-averse. And um, so, you know, with this particular instance that happened, I don't know all the details. I just know what I've been told and what I've heard. Um, and, you know, I've been told some some stories that the, 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 the tour operator uh, was in the car with this uh, American lady and they apparently, according to eyewitnesses, they were driving around with their windows open all the time. And Which is, was literally, to their credit, 
the Safari Park, Lion Park said all signs everywhere, no open windows. Because Absolutely. you've just stated that these lions uh, find people as an enrichment, an activity, something that yeah. they can play with. And then they discover, okay. wow, I can get in there. And then they discover these sort of screaming, wiggling things that sort of sound like prey. True. And, and so uh, there's two things to bear in mind, Jay, exactly. One is that the rules and regulations were... Um, were, were definitely disobeyed, whether, the, whether they had the windows open all the time or they just took the window down to take a picture. Um, they still broke the rules, either at that point in time or previously. Um, and this incident wouldn't have occurred if the window was left up. So However, that, having that, said, that leads me to just a little point here that I, I'd like you to go on about people, that we hmm. think in a situation like this, that we don't have to pay attention to the signs. We've just pet, cut it a peb, petted a cub, excuse me, and no. they're cute, they're fun, and now here's a wild one, and we have this kind of, I'm going to say it again, Disney um, unauthentic relationship and understanding of who these lions are. So, Well, well exactly. They have a very limited knowledge of a lion's behavior. And, and one thing that's that's really clear to me in all my years of working with lions is people have no idea how quick a lion can move. They think they're these docile, lazy cats that just sleep. And yes, for the most part of the day, that's what lions do. But um, when a lion needs to move, it moves. When it's switched on, it is switched on. Exactly. So, I mean, we're sitting with a situation, unfortunately, whereby we know that people don't obey rules because if people obeyed rules, no one would speed. Everyone would use their seatbelts or wear their seatbelts. Um, uh, people would maintain their cars as per the laws of the land. But people don't do that. They break rules all the time. And so I think in this day and age, one can't just rely solely on telling people don't, uh, you know, put your window down. Um, also, I think based on the fact that there's been other incidences in the park of late, uh, one can clearly um, see that people are not listening. And, and, and I suppose my, my thinking is, is, is with, with uh, you know, people behaving in such a way, one probably needs to even ask the question whether uh, people shouldn't be guided through these kind of camps. You know, with somebody in a vehicle that they could say, don't do that, because if you do that again, I'm driving out of here. Or if you do that again, I'm taking you out of here. Um, but people left to their own devices um, is a problem. Um, you know, so I think it's just, I said to somebody uh, yesterday, instead of apportioning blame and saying it was the lady to blame, the tour operator was to blame, the park was to blame, the lion was to blame, <laughs> what, you know, everyone just likes to blame everyone in, in situations. I was like, well, how can we learn from this? What, right, because pointing yeah. fingers is not going to solve the problem. No. So what can we learn? That's the question. And there's so many things we can learn. Um, I think we, we can always learn that we should never disrespect nature because nature can, you know, turn. And the lion was just doing what a lion does. It, it, it took an opportunity, uh, whether it was a curiosity to the vehicle, whether it was, as some would say, uh, protecting her cubs, because apparently this lioness did have some cubs that were at an age where they are probably be, be, being weaned. 
So she probably wouldn't have been as protective, but nevertheless, that could be a factor. Um, you know, respecting their space, not driving right up to them and poking fun at them, as I've seen a lot of people do in, in the past. Um, or get out know, of the car. Or get out of the car, which has happened in the past before. I've seen that in the wild areas. I've seen that in the Kruger Park. Um, you know, these are people who are not uh, behaviorists. They don't know uh, lions specifically. Um, and, yeah, they, they just get caught in the moment, maybe. And they're, they're, they're most, most, most of them, their experience with the wild is virtual through TV, through beautiful documentaries. And they do want to get close. And they forget that nature bites back, that wild is wild, and that's why it's called wild. And it's not a theme park. Even though it's dressed up as a theme park, we have lions. Uh, but this is not the situation. So I, I agree with you 100%. I well. feel the person and the park authorities were, were the beginning of a chain of a disaster, of a domino effect that led to a person's death. It's, it's tragic, it's unfortunate, and it puts lions in a bad light and doesn't really put the blame if we're looking at it or doesn't really bring into focus the responsibility people play in in this activity. Well, precisely. And I was asked the question, how does one make a, a situation like this completely safe? And I was like, well, then people don't go in with the lion. <laughs> Good. Good for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, you cannot, you know, you cannot uh, account for all variables. Every time you get in a car, there's a risk. So how do you not die in a car accident? Don't get in a car. You know, so, but every time you get in a car, there's a chance. So, but people need to be responsible for their own actions and they need to understand that with life, there's risk. And everything we do in life is risky. And there's things that we can do to minimize these risks and Absolutely. not following the rules, not paying attention, thinking these signs are not for us forever. We think we may be that yep. um, th there, we can minimize these risks. Absolutely. So it was an unfortunate, tragic accident. And mm -hmm. um, it leads me to a question, um, and you can answer it or not, that what happens to your lions who you have this amazing relationship with that are now much, much more under your control and that you've set up an incredible organization around this to raise awareness about lions, who they are, about the canned captive hunting, which we'll get into a little bit more. But what if something happens to you? What happens to your lions? Well, precisely. I mean, this is why I've always um, said to people, do as I say, not as I do, because it's a very, um, it's not a, a model that one could say, right, this is how captive lions should be uh, treated. Um, do as I do, form relationships and, and everything will be okay. It takes, it takes a special kind of individuals to commit themselves to the cause. And I don't think everyone, although you get a lot of people saying, yes, I would, I don't think they fully understand what that means. Um, so I do say my sanctuary, my model, the way I work is not sustainable for exactly that reason. Um, my lines have all lived a pretty good life up until today. Now, tonight I die for whatever reason. Uh, they just become lions in cages. 
Um, the only way they live a life um, that is that is outside of the cage is through me or via me. And I, the because of the relationships, I move them around. I swap their enclosures. I take them for walks. I let them explore the the wilderness. That is only because of the relationship. But it's a catch twenty two because um, you know the relationship inherently causes people to say, well, that's inherently dangerous. And also, what happens if I die? Then these lions, you know, by default, go back to being caged captive lions. And for that very reason, I don't breed lions. I put all my lions on the contraceptive implant, all the lionesses, and I haven't bred a lion for many, 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 many years. In fact, my youngest lions at the sanctuary are now turning six. So that's, that's quite a long time of no, no cub breeding. Um, and you don't, I, you don't mm-hmm. take in any more lions, or, or do you? Uh, you know, I, I had, I, I never, I've got a little policy or a little saying. I say never say never. Because that's exactly what I, I said. I said, no more. When I made the, the decision to put them on the contraceptive implants, I said, no more. I don't want, this is crazy. It, it's perpetuating an industry. If I cannot find good homes for lions that I potentially would breed, then, then there's, there's an issue. There's a problem. And that was, you know, the final straw was there are no good homes. Uh, if I if I thought there were some good homes out there and lions would live great lives, I would be breeding and be letting people touch them and pet them because, you know, the, the, there's many controversies around the whole petting of of animals, etc. But um, I don't think that's the the issue, the real issue, because you know lions get bullied in prides and cubs cubs really have a hard time until they get older, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's not the issue really. The issue is what happens to them when they or have have uh, reached their usefulness. Have out out uh, you know their 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 sell by date. They've reached that sell by date, and now it's time for them to move on. Then they get lumped into these cages. They grow up and ultimately get sold off for trophy hunting. So the and real was, so the real issue you're talking about here in this in on this track, um, mm-hmm. we'll set the so- trophy hunting aside for for a second, is that there's no we're, there, we're losing wild spaces. So you're saying it's not really the issue of the human interaction with the lion, because I've worked yeah. with Tony Fitzjohn, who works with wild orphans to reintroduce them into the wild successfully. So it's not so much the human interaction and the habituation to people, it's where will they go? We're running out of space for wild lions, where there either isn't already a wild lion pride who's keeping their territory. Where are they going to go? That's the good home planet earth and we're losing that well that's precisely the point because uh, you know a lot of institutions hide under the guise that the whole education or petting experience is for the good of conservation but for me conserving wild lions in their natural habitat is is far more important and as uh, you know dr luke hunter from panthera organization always says and it's so true why why would there be a need to repopulate areas with captive red lines when we have wild lines who don't have areas where we can populate uh, them with um, if we're losing if we're losing habitat for whatever the reason there's no use in reclaiming habitat now we've got this open space of land and put lions in there when everything else is gone we need prey species the habitat needs to be healthy and 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 viable before one can put in an apex predator like lions so 
so the, all that's what, what's happening is, you correctly say, is that habitats are shrinking. And together with those shrinking habitats, lion, wild lion populations are shrinking. So it doesn't help us to be breeding up all these captive lions to repopulate these wild areas where we can't because there's nowhere to put them. And, 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 and further to that is it's, it's as Tony Fitzjohn will, will have told you, and you probably already know, it's extremely difficult to successfully release them. And by, by, by success, successful, I mean not just releasing a lion into the wild so it can hunt and it can survive, but breed. And to grow form, and prosper and create. Exactly. Yeah. It needs to breed. If it doesn't breed, if I release a lion into an area and it survives uh, for a period of time and then dies, what have you achieved conservationally? Right. Um, and to create a, a working relationship with communities and people who must live with lions in the wild, we have to work on that relationship. You release a lion in the wild, it's already got a huge gauntlet of challenges just by being a lion to survive yeah. to 20 years old. And then you add the challenges of people, and we're, which is already the issue we're facing. And that's also an issue with captive lions is that, you know, they, because of this habituation with people, um, they, you know, people who, who try to, to do these programs, yes, we've got to dehabituate them and then breed up the, the youngsters so that they're totally wild. But those kind of uh, tiered programs uh, haven't really worked. Um, and, and the programs that try and release or rehabilitate lines that have been imprinted, they almost go back to default mode the first time they, they hit, hit strife. And, and default mode means go to human inhabitations, raid cattle, um, stock, livestock, etc., and ultimately land up being shot or poisoned. Um, so those kind of situations also don't work. So this is why a lot of these um, scientific organizations will say, well, why are people claiming to be hand-raising captive bread lines, um, utilizing them in the petting industry, then walking with them, then trying to put them into a, a situation where they de-habituate um, them to people and then go through this whole process of rewilding them. It makes absolutely no sense when we have wild lion populations that we could repopulate, uh, let's say we reclaim habitat, we could repopulate those habitats with wild lions. Surely that makes more sense? Yeah, it's, it's like taking funds from a limited pie and putting them down a rabbit hole. Sure. To keep to sustain an industry that is not benefiting anybody except somebody's wallet and some naive tourists rather than actually helping wild lions. So that brings me to a little conundrum here. You interact mm. with lions, people love it. Mm -hmm. They see it, they <laughs> say, I want one. So yeah. how and you've done it, you've managed it successfully, but there's still that question. You interact with mm -hmm. lions, you've said it before, mm -hmm. do as I say, mm -hmm. not as I do. So how mm -hmm. does your interaction with lions, how do you go about telling people, really, you don't want to pet lions, you don't want to pet cubs? And this is where it gets into where these lions go. So these captive lions, they end up in camps and are sold, as you'd already said, and often they're sold to hunters, which is foreign trophy collectors who come in. Let's talk about this a little bit, what the canned captive lion ends up as. Yeah, look, I mean, 
I do any opportunity that I get to talk to uh, uh, larger audiences or in a program like this on a, you know, um, I will always tell people the pitfalls about what I, you know, I kind of landed up in this uh, naively like everyone else and then realized, oh my word, this is where I am. Uh, this is what I'm doing. And it became my life. Um, not many people who pet lions are going to dedicate their life to the lion that they petted. So it's just a passing you know, uh, kind of thing in their life, uh, indulgence in their life. They want the picture and off they go. Um, so I try and make people aware of the pitfalls of it because of what happened to me. Lead by example. This is what happened to me. And I cannot turn my back um, now on, on those animals that I forge relationships with because it is human nature and I'm only human. Um, you know, people have often said, well, some people have said, well, why don't you just euthanize them and stop it in its tracks? And I think I'm, I'm, far, uh, I, I'm, I'm a far more powerful voice with my team of lions behind me than I would just standing on my own. So I've, we've kind of come to this agreement, me and the lions, that we'll utilize each other to get the bigger or greater message out there. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we've been trying to do. Um, I know it's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it certainly gets attention and certainly gets people talking. And when people start to talk and they start to get an interest, um, that's a good thing. And that's, that's why we've been able to expose what's going on and being able to get people debating and, and asking the questions. You know, we, I, what I say to people is don't, don't take my word for it. Why don't you do some research and go and ask questions? If you don't like the answers, don't uh, visit the place. That's what I often say. If you don't like what you see, then do something about it. Not yeah. everybody has the ability. You're unique in the in your commitment, your ability, and your skill, talent, if you want to call it, to uh, be with lions. You have to have a certain kind of vibe, a very calm personality to not trigger all these situations and dangers dangerous aspects that can trigger a lion. And I often oh. see when you're in an interview with people, um, the CNN or CBS interview for one, the people get very scared because our instincts takes over. This is a lion, run. And there you are trying to maintain calm while this lion is standing on top of you. That takes yeah. that takes mm-hmm. a real balance that many people don't have. We have a tendency to get scared and fly off the handle. So we've only got a couple minutes left. What is our final message here? Um, We've done several programs and we're following this up with what the canned hunting industry does. We've we've talked about how it's not helping wild lions. So what is it you want our audience to take away from today? Well, there's there's two things. One is to um, the plot of the the wild lion. I mean, if, if people feel strongly about that, people should really get involved and try and support organizations or trying to mitigate conflict in um, these environments where lions are, are, are being decimated. Um, that's, that's more in the East African scenario uh, where lions are plummeting. And then in the captive situation, I think if we could get people to boycott uh, um, you know, these, these uh, facilities and say, listen, I want more from my experience in Africa than just petting a lion cub and indulging myself. Um, you know, if I really truly was an animal lover, would I, would I really want that to happen to my, to this little animal? And just so I'm not saying don't, don't do anything or, you know, but if you do, are going to go somewhere, um, go there, do your research, 
uh, talk to people. Uh, there's no excuse. Everyone's connected to the internet. Most of the tourism that we have is coming from America or Europe or Australia or those parts of the world. Uh, people are educated. These are people with money who can afford to travel. Um, so you'd hope they'd have a level of education and they can do their research, ask the questions. If they don't like what they're hearing, don't go and visit these facilities. If, if you don't visit the facilities, they won't have a necessity to breed. If and you if don't buy don't a breed, ticket, then you're not supporting the, uh, correct. You're, you're part of the solution rather than the problem. The problem. So unfortunately, we're out of time today. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for speaking for the Lions. And um, one day I hope to come and visit you and, you know, continue this conversation because what you're doing is incredibly important. And as you've evolved, your mission has evolved. And it's not about petting lions. It is about saving wild lions. So thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy man. So um all I can say is uh, I appreciate very much what you're doing, and thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. It's been great to chat, and I think it's been an enlightening conversation. Well, thank you. You've enlightened a lot of people. So once again, our listeners, please visit thelionwhisperer.org or .com. Visit the Lion Whisperer. You can't not – You. it's hard to miss. Look it up. <laughs> Look up Kevin Richardson. Go to his Facebook page, learn what he's doing, and read about his mission and educate yourselves. So that's it. We're out of time. This is Ellie Weiss with my fabulous guest, Kevin Richardson, and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 